What does that mean, know me? Know me? Nobody ever knows anybody else, ever. You will never know me. That was a quote from Rules, The Rules of Attraction by Brett Easton Ellis, a book we're doing a little mini episode on today because we actually got invited to speak about it on the Brett Easton Ellis Book Club podcast show. And we had a great time. Roger Avery was there, who uh, co-wrote the script for Pulp Fiction and directed the movie. Also, James Vanderbeek, who played uh, my sweet little Dawson <laughs> in Dawson's Creek. And it was a great show. You should go check it out if you haven't. But yeah, we're just going to talk about rules of attraction today, but not a full-fledged, fully fleshed out fully fledged <laughs> episode a mini Just a one a little mini one a mini one a little bonus episode if you will and that quote really sums up what the whole book is about people trying to know each other trying to love each other and it not working out because Brady Stanellis never leaves you on a happy note no and this was his second novel and definitely these characters were a lot more i guess deep um, had a little more substance to them compared to the Less Than Zero cast. But just so you know who they are, yeah. these are um, college kids mm-hmm. at a fake but pretty real-seeming college, I think in the Northeast somewhere, called Camden College. It's a place for basically rich, really stupid kids <laughs> that only want to party and get involved in these love triangles. And the main love triangle we have in this book involves Paul, who's a gay guy. I guess he's bi, he's too. Bi. But mainly gay. Mainly gay. But uh, Paul and Sean, who is a drug dealer that pretends to be poor, even though he's super rich and he's kind of a bad boy, and Lauren. And just to map this out real quick... Paul is in love with Sean. Sean is in love with Lauren. And Lauren is in love with this guy named Victor, who's out of most of the book. Yeah. You don't really... You see him pop up. I think he has three chapters in yeah. the book. And and one thing that's unique about this book is it starts in the middle of a sentence, and it ends in the middle of a sentence. And it um, every chapter is a new narrator which I thought was very interesting because you got to see, you know, it would play the same scene, but told from two different perspectives. And so I thought that was pretty unique because you would hear it from one person's perspective and then the other. And, you know, people experience things completely different. So, you know, Sean would have an interaction with Paul and it would be completely different than the way Paul described it. So I think that happens in our lives. <laughs> The switching, the constant narrator switching, and just the prose style, which is this really aggressive stream of consciousness almost, people, just this never-ending stream of them noticing what people are wearing, what people are doing, wondering about a party they went to, that combined with the narrators going in and out makes this book have a much more in-your-face, fast feeling than something like Less Than Zero in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And and these characters are just so messed up. They're all like in their, I think, junior, senior year. They're all finishing up. 
college. They're clearly corrupt. You know, Brady Stanellis in his writing just goes over such serious topics like abortion and and suicide and the rape. The book begins basically. with Lauren pretty much being date raped in her dorm dorm room. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it starts, and it's pretty heavy. And um, yeah, she's she seems to be a, a more innocent character than the rest. And I think she's a virgin at the beginning, and she's talking about the boy who she wants to lose her virginity to and kind of romanticizing him. But for some reason or another, she can't find him at this party. And uh, I love the dialogue where she's talking to this one like film major or something mm-hmm. about all these art house movies, and he's bringing up all this stuff, and she's just agreeing. Because we've all met a guy like that in college. He's super into films. But really, underneath that, he's just wanting to have sex with Lauren. And instead of getting her Prince Charming, she ends up going to his dorm. And I think having sex with not just him, but a couple other guys. And someone even films it. It was... While she's pretty much passed out. Yeah, I mean, if if you're new to this book and you pick it up and you read that first chapter it it really makes you sick because not only is she being you know pretty much raped by these guys they are just gross humans they're trying to tell her a joke about that elephant and the mouse and it's just a weird joke that doesn't make sense And and everybody is constantly referencing you know these cool movies and uh books and music and everybody has tapestries in their dorm room and Mm-hmm. Uh, has the most expensive stereo and yeah you you can imagine these characters like interchangeable with the people in less than zero except in this book you really get to see what their moment-to-moment thoughts are mm-hmm. but i think this book has a, a little more of a focus on romance than less than zero did but the death of romance yeah everybody's very into themselves they're all about pleasure um just any every moment they have to have a new high and not just drugs just every, everybody on their on their mind is just who am i going to have sex with next what party is coming up they're the dressed always, to get screwed party yeah they're always ready for a new party um i like that the main party is called the end of the world i guess that's uh brady sinell is having a little fun with the party names. And you don't see, I think, even one sentence of any of them doing homework or doing work. No, and Lauren actually switches her major pretty much every month. Um, and she's in her senior year, so I'm not sure how she's going to graduate. Um, but that also shows that, you know, you go to college for the purpose of getting an education, but none of these people are focused on their education. They're just, you know... Living their life. I think Paul at one point is talking about all his different majors, and he's about to graduate too. And he says uh, he's a, like a screen acting major or something, a theater major, mm-hmm. and he doesn't like it at all. It's just the last thing in the roll of the dice that he got. But uh, so this book is satirizing just the concept of love in general, but also I would would you say like the college system in general. Like how ridiculous it is. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't obviously participate in the college parties and all that, but I definitely saw it going on around me. 
And I just always wondered how anybody got anything done. Um, you know, and, and where are they now? I think about some of these people I went to school with, and I'm not sure if they are doing anything interesting with their lives, but everybody's just very dead inside, um, trying to just constantly feel something. Um, what's the word? Hedon? Hedonistic. Hedonistic. That's how I could sum up. Well, they're, they're Gen Xers, aren't they? Yeah, it's the 80s. Yeah. And you're wondering why they're so excessive. At least I was when I was reading it. And um, what Ellis is maybe trying to point to as the problem here. And he doesn't give you a lot of answers. The closest thing I could find was maybe that scene where Sean was trying to collect money from one of his friends who's stoned in his room. (laughs) And he's like, come on, man, I need the money. And he's playing like a flute or something. Mm -hmm. And he's just shot some drugs up in between his toe. And he goes on this rambling, bumbling monologue where he's like, it was the the Kennedys, man. Like, you know, when uh, John F. Kennedy got shot, all of our moms saw that while they were pregnant with us, and that, like, did something to their uterus, and now we're all, like, you know, messed up, man. So I didn't I didn't know if that was Ellis blaming, like, the boomer generation that the Gen Xers came from, or... I don't know. I don't think he lets anybody off responsibility-wise in this, but... Sorry, I've, I've been kind of going on here, but one thing I think is worth talking about a little bit more before we forget about it is Camden College itself, the setting. Mm -hmm. Especially if you take into account the rest of Ellis's books. And why it's it's unique, it's not as sexy aesthetically wise as uh, L.A. from Less Than Zero, but Camden is an interesting place because it's the only setting where all of Ellis's main characters from the other novels pop up and make a cameo. Yeah. Patrick Bateman is there from American Psycho. He narrates a chapter. Clay is there. He's kind of in the background the whole time in this book. He narrates a chapter. Victor, who is the main character of Glamorama, Mm -hmm. is there. And uh, I don't know. That was very interesting to me. And I want to know, before I say my spiel, what your uh, opinion on that was like what was do you think there was a significance there having them all meet at this place i guess it's kind of unique that they're it's almost like their origin story where they're being um i guess they're coming out of this broken college system and maybe that's that's why it's significant well for clay at least he's going back there after the uh after less than zero i think mm-hmm but I, mean, I, th- I think he's been there before. Yeah. So No, he had gone there. It, Lesson Zero was him on Christmas break. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what was your uh, thought about it? I, I didn't spend too much time thinking about Camden College. I was more invested in the relationships and how nobody knew how to love. And Well, we, we can get to that yeah. real soon. But um, I think I kind of agree with you. Like, it's, it's this uh, place of origin sort of for this type of messed up person in America, just a super rich liberal arts college. You think the college made them that way? I think the college in a way represents a deeper source from where these people come from, because 
again, if you think about the other Ellis books, they're all very slowed down. Not slowed down, but more rooted in a setting, usually a glamorous setting. And Camden, is, it doesn't get described very much, but just with the way everyone narrates, you get this sense that this is a place where time isn't really existing. People are just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And they'll describe something that happens in three seconds over two pages or vice versa. And uh, I don't know. I just got to thinking like all these messed up characters in Ellis's novel novels are coming from this place kind of out of time where all there is is just pure ego and nothing to tie them down to the real world. The, the whole world is just other people's art. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> other people's art, other people's lives that they're worried about. I had a frog in my throat. That's what my dad says when he does that. Mm. It really undermines my point here. I get what but, you're uh, trying to say. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I, I do, I do. It was like this otherworldly place somehow. I never thought about it like that. Even though he barely described it. Like a timeless place. And I think there's more significance to it than that that I'm probably not intelligent enough to explain. But uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the relationships because that's the meat of the story here. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I guess thinking about the three, or I guess we could throw Victor in as a kind of, not a major character, but he is described a lot by Lauren. But you have Lauren who... You know, what girl doesn't have, you know, her first love and thinks about him constantly and has so many nice things to say about him. And then when you actually hear about... For Victor, you mean? For Victor. Who's the biggest idiot in the book. He's the biggest idiot. He has a great chapter where he's just going from city to city. He's going from country to country. He's partying. People are always asking Lauren, I'm sorry, like where Victor is. And she always says, oh, he's in Europe or he's in some amazing place. And, and you finally always, get to see yeah. what, what he's doing there. And she always says, like, she has so many memories with Victor and very special moments with him. And then when you see him, you're like, this can't be the same guy she is with. And then later on in the novel, you know, spoiler alert, he'll he she meets up with him. And she's like, where have you been? You haven't talked to me. You haven't. He doesn't even remember. And he her. doesn't even know who she is. And so it's like that's what girls do we fantasize we think about this boy that literally doesn't even know who we are um then you have sean who basically is just looking for the next girl to sleep with and he's rock and roll deal with it that's his famous lines he just rock and roll everything's rock and roll deal with it um and i'll get into sean in a second and then you have paul who is gay and and really loves Sean. And he's picking up on all these little things that Sean does. And he thinks that Sean is totally into him. But then when you hear it from Sean's perspective, he's always saying like, and then Paul was staring at me and I thought that was weird and I left. And then Paul was saying that they had sex. They How kissed. romantic it is. Yeah, it's so romantic. He, he had a farmer's boy's hands. Yeah, he, he <laughs> thought that Sean was a farmer and he lived on a ranch and all this stuff. And Sean clearly is not any of those things um and he he was wondering he liked the idea that sean didn't know if he was catholic or not he couldn't remember and he thought that was kind of cute it's it, almost like each one of these people 
for the person they're infatuated with, they're blowing up this huge mythology about them, super analyzing every little thing they every do. Every detail, yeah. There's got to be like a story behind it. But they're so invested in themselves that they don't even see what is even going on and they don't even know how to love properly. And I think one thing that Ellis put in the book that was really something different I had never seen before is uh, Sean kept getting these letters from a secret admirer. You never knew this girl's name, but she popped up in the background a lot. Oh, yeah. And this this was like the key to the whole figuring out the whole love triangle that you wanted to yeah. know this person's identity the whole time. But clearly she was she wasn't Lauren. She wasn't somebody that Sean had slept with. And she was writing him very romantic, intimate letters. I mean, this girl clearly was very in love with him. Um, almost, I mean, it was a little bit sick in the some of the stuff she was saying. But it seemed like this person really would, I mean, she did, uh, spoiler alert again, she basically killed herself for him. I mean, she was like the ultimate just mega love uh you know, and and I'd love to read part of her letter that she wrote to Sean, but um, I just thought that part was interesting. Like the one person that he never got to know or didn't even talk to face to face was the one who loved him the most. Where he, but it wouldn't have mattered anyways because nobody loves the other person back. It's just like a one way street of being focused on mm-hmm. someone else. And he was convinced that this was Lauren. And, you know, with, once again, what is with characters in, in movies and even books that don't talk about it? Like, he never brought up the letter. Like, are you writing me letters? No. Okay, problem solved. I think he was savoring <laughs> the, you know, the the game and building up to this moment where they both revealed their feelings for each other, which the way Sean chooses to express that interestingly enough is by sleeping with another girl lauren's roommate and then he says that i only had sex with her because i'm in love with you <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah and then um like you mentioned the the girl that loves sean commits suicide mm-hmm. and sean pretends to do the same thing yeah he he gets like fake blood and he puts it all over himself and lauren finds him like that and uh she she doesn't respond to that so well no well, I just want to read this little section. I just thought this was... Uh, From the letter? Quite, yeah, quite romantic. Got you. You're mine now for the rest of the day, week, month, year, life. Have you guessed who I am? Sometimes I think you have. Sometimes when you're standing in a crowd, I feel those sultry, dark eyes of yours stop on me. Are you too afraid to come up to me and let me know how you feel? I want to moan and writhe with you, and I want to go up to you and kiss your mouth and pull you to me and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, while stripping. I want you so bad it stings. I want to kill the ugly girls that you're always with. Do you really like those boring, naive, coy, calculating girls, or is it just for sex? The seeds of love have taken hold, and if we won't burn together, I'll burn alone. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Deal with it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. 
Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. Really, this, I mean, it's it's kind of sweet in a way, but it it's, is kind of sweet. It's a little childish, naive yeah. kind of love. Where, but if he gave her a not, chance, maybe they could have really had a real. But love, that's the thing but, is they. It's all just passion. Like it doesn't come from knowing anything about the person or, yeah. you know, anything other than just how they feel in the moment, which they they dramatize this more with the pros when they talk about you know, their love for somebody else, but they talk this emphatically about, you know, material stuff too. I thought it was an interesting part towards the end of the book. Lauren is pregnant and she's trying to figure out whose it is because she's had sex with Sean. She had sex with Paul at one point. She had obviously those two guys have sex with her at the beginning. And Sean, when he finds out, he says, I want to marry you. And he's like, I want to be with you. And he wants it. And he doesn't want her to get rid of it. And so they take this, I guess, romantic trip together. They go around and they meet this couple in New York who's married. And they are just totally dead inside with some of the stuff they talk about, which I think Brett Easton Ellis was introducing the characters in American Psycho because they're very into the the latest stereo system and uh you should hear the new susudio on on this uh great and they name you know the the walkman that they have and this lady is just talking about the most boring things like rugs or something and then right after that and they take their trip together which they barely talk to each other on this whole trip and they're driving and Sean just says I'll pay for it <laughs> and then the next chapter Wait, no, that's not funny. And then the next chapter, I don't know if you remember, it describes her abortion and the whole thing. And then it goes back to Sean and then it goes to Lauren's chapter. And actually, it's just a blank page. And I don't know, that kind of hit me. That was really sad. Yeah, there's been some other books, I think, that just have a blank page chapter. But that one had a lot of weight that you could imagine was behind it. But And then the next chapter just goes right back into it. And I just think that's so unique how his character is just bring up very serious topics or very serious things happen, just like with Less Than Zero. And it's just like, here it is, and then it just, you don't even know how to feel after it. You just feel this apathy. Well, that's that's my favorite thing about B, is <laughs> he uh, presents all this stuff so neutrally that it really is just left up to you to feel it and think about Clearly it. Clearly he has morals and he knows this stuff is but wrong. But you don't see that but in you the don't, book. It's, he's not it's, teaching you a lesson. He's not saying that was wrong and then the characters have this like big epiphany and they change. No, it's just like They a, just stay the same. It's so undramatized and I guess he's not wagging your finger his finger. Someone's finger is being wagged. <laughs> he's not wagging his finger at you morally. So when you just have the scene there it's just kind of reflecting back whatever you bring to it. I just think and that's what makes it so powerful for me. Having characters in literature, they always have some kind of a change, you know. And with less than zero, stayed the same. 
And same with this one. They just stayed the same. I think Clay got a little bit worse, you could argue. But yeah. before we uh, move on, I'd like to mention Clay and uh, maybe Patrick's chapters in uh, Rules of Attraction real quick. Yeah, Clay is in the background of the book a lot. He's, He's always the guy with the tan or the sunglasses. The sunglasses in the background. And, which is uh, creepy if you've, if you've read Less Than Zero and you know who he is. Like, basically this monster guy. He's always in the background of these party scenes with his sunglasses on. And that wouldn't be scary normally, but when you know Clay, it is. Yeah. But um, his chapter plopped in kind of towards the end, mm-hmm. and it was such an interesting contrast because all these other characters, Paul, Sean, Lauren, Victor, whoever, their minds are just like a puppy dog on crack almost, the way it reads. It's just like the next thing, the next thing, and then yeah. this person was wearing this, and then I listened to this, and then... And then when it gets to Clay's, it's like, people are afraid to walk across the campus at night, which is, you know, like the first line of Less Than Zero. And I don't know, something about that chapter was way scarier than everybody else's because these other people seemed at least a little bit more human mm-hmm. compared to Clay in the sense that they were they wanted something, they were in love with somebody, they are trying to get something. But Clay is... He doesn't even have that. He's just talking about... Clay doesn't have a soul. <laughs> no, and you can feel that somehow. You can feel that in his chapter. Through the dumb little things he describes. Like just, It's like you've gone back to less than zero for a minute, the book, and he's talking about he's walking around, eating stuff, sitting in his dorm, and he uh, he's doing errands down in the city. And one part I loved was uh, just because it was inconvenient for him to take the bus there or whatever he buys a porsche yeah but it's so casual the way he mentions like i buy a porsche so i can go into town and like just to run my errands yeah and then he starts talking about how there's an indian burial ground or something on the the campus and uh at night like people say ghosts come up to the window and all these little nods to like something to do with death all jammed into clay's chapter and I don't know, just the way it was slowed down mm-hmm. and and different aesthetically than the rest of the chapters. And same with uh, Patrick Bateman popping up, which and I his, thought was yeah. kind of funny because um, Sean is the little brother of Patrick Bateman. And, uh, Who, and Sean, by the way, wants everybody to think he's like this homegrown, like down-to-earth guy. He's a drug dealer. He's His parents aren't rich. Yeah. But... Um, they're, they're like maybe the richest people in oh, yeah. the, in uh, the B universe. And uh, you, you get to see Patrick. And this was before American Psycho, right? The book? Yes, that was. Yeah, but the character is exactly the same. He's like, I was sitting at the bench drinking an Evian water, waiting for my stupid brother to show up. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just, if you know anything about Patrick, you know he's this insane like materialist focused rich guy and um i mean he's a killer too but sean is kind of the opposite of that in some ways because he's just sort of a punk kid almost everything is like rock and roll deal with it and Mm -hmm. i think patrick is trying to talk to him about like figuring something out for their dad who's sick and yeah, Sean about to die. Yeah, and Sean doesn't care at all. He's just saying like repeating the same stuff like 
I don't care, deal with it, whatever, rock and roll, deal with it. <laughs> and my favorite part is when Patrick points at him, and I was picturing Christian Bale doing this, and he's like, no, Sean, you deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fun. I, I'm glad that he put him in there. He has a lot of fun little chapters in there. He even has a whole chapter in French with the French roommate of uh, Sean, who's actually in love with him, if you translate the chapter. I never got to translate that chapter. I translate. Basically, he was saying how in love he was with Sean, and uh, Sean always talked about how weird he was. He called his roommate the frog, and he was tired of him. Oh, that's who the frog was, because he, he mentions that uh, towards the beginning of now, the book. Bertrand is the frog. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I I thought this was a unique book. It was... You know, if I had to compare it to Less Than Zero, I think I actually liked Rules of Attraction a little more. Um, Before we end, I know you wanted to talk about the chapter with Victor. Yes, I think this was one of the coolest chapters in any of Brady Stanellis' books. But uh, And it was fun in the movie, the scene they did. Yeah, it was, it was pretty true to how, how this chapter read because it was just a mega fast montage of... Victor going to all the pretty much the most amazing historical sites all across Europe and Rome and uh, England and Mm -hmm. Germany. Greece. (laughs) Yeah, Greece. And uh, how do I describe how this chapter made me feel? Have you ever met one of those guys in college that he's just, he's like talking about all the places he went to, like I backpacked through Europe, I went to a hostel and and all he can talk about is like food and concerts and drugs and the girls he oh, hooked yeah. up with. That's Victor. Except what makes this chapter funny is the pacing of it. He's just like, oh, it's fast. I wish I had it in front of me that I could read, but he's just like, went to Switzerland, saw this, ate this, like met this girl. And then he'll throw in something like, uh, I saw the paintings in the Louvre, the whatever, not the Rembrandts, but like the, what was the the artist? It's like the Vermeers were really intense. Like he's he's just rocketing through all of the most amazing achievements of <laughs> human society. Right. It's like he's just shrugging his shoulders like, eh, pretty cool. All right. Next thing. <laughs> but I mean, he acknowledges it. he's like, it was intense like a little bit, but he'll spend like way more time focusing on the food or the, the people he hooked up with. And even some weird things are going on. Like if you read a little closely, he says... I got picked up by a guy in Greece when I was hitchhiking, like, and he like assaulted me or something. Yeah, like molested. It, he him. was weird, and then <laughs> yeah, it just moves on to the next thing. I don't know, just all the the little details flashing at you so quickly, like him beating the octopus on the rocks, or um, going through the subway station, or going to the uh, what's that that famous church in France, Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, and just not caring like. Just this rich guy with so much opportunity seeing the the best. The most amazing wonders of the world. The most amazing <laughs> things from human civilization and seeing it's just, just like, like mm, okay, bouncing cool. off of like this smiling idiot yeah. that can only take drugs and eat. I don't know. It's, you should go read that chapter. It's it's hilarious and sad. Exactly. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book. I would put it over less than zero. I thought it was really good was more fleshed out with the characters um it was very entertaining it was funny it was sad it was dark and um i really like uh b style in this one 
I think they were both great books, and I appreciate how different of a direction he tried to take it with some of the stylistic choices here. Yeah, and the and the movie was very good too. It was actually true to the to the story. They didn't mess it up like they did less than zero. And uh Dawson or James Vanderbeek was really cool as Sean, I thought. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you for tuning in. This has been our mini episode on the rules of attraction by Brad Easton Ellis. Mini sode. A mini sode. <laughs> and remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs>